cracking one open. I'm Mike. And I'm Elise. And we'll be taking you on this journey through the realm of beer today. Mm-hmm. Just the smooth styles of bubbles and brown liquid bread. I was going to say, where are you going with brown liquid? <laughs> Not very appetizing. <laughs> <laughs> what liquid bread are we drinking today? <laughs> well, this week we are cracking open Mischief, a hoppy Belgian ale. Hold from- on, hold on. Yes. Tell me we're cracking open Mischief again. This week, we're cracking open mischief. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to do your, like, joker. Oh, no. That's less mischief and more mayhem. Fair. Okay. <laughs> anyway, mischief is a hoppy <laughs> Belgian ale from the brewery located in, we've had this conversation before, Placentia. 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 No, there's an I there. I'm still going to call it Placenta. All right. California. And as I mentioned, this may sound familiar because we've actually already covered two beers by Offshoot, which is an offshoot of The Brewery. Oh. <laughs> so The Brewery was founded by Patrick Rue, and his last name is spelled R-U-E. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's why it's called The Brewery. Oh, he clever. And the way it's it spelled. It actually is pretty clever. I like that. It is. Anyway, it was founded in 2008, and this is from their website. Quote, it was Patrick's passion and insatiable curiosity that led him to open a brewery, build a team of world-class, like-minded brewers, and eventually earn the title of Master Cicerone. This unique combination of unwavering creativity, unquestionable expertise, and relentless innovation drives us to craft beers that, quite frankly, might change the way you think about beer. End quote. We'll see about Pretty that. Pretty bold. <laughs> That's very bold. So a big part of their philosophy at the brewery is taste over style. Their beers are inspired by the culinary world, traditional beer styles, natural ingredients, vineyards, and even junk food. So taste over style. What I took away from that is that they're not aiming to like have specific types of beer on tap at all given times, but to have like a certain or like a have a certain range of beers, but it's really dependent upon what taste they find inspiration in. I want and like a McDonald's French fried junk food beer. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a beer that's as crack addicting as uh, McDonald's French fries. Oh, yes, please. Um, so in 2015, the brewery expanded to include a co-brand called the Brewery Tarot in Anaheim, California, which is the facility um, slash tasting room where they moved all of their sour beer production. The brewery continues to craft non-sour and spirit barrel aged beers at its original site in Placentia. Placentia. And then in 2017, Offshoot Beer was born in order to specialize in hoppy beers packaged in 16 ounce um, cans released in limited supply from the brewery for fresh enjoyment. And this is because right from the get-go with the brewery, Patrick Rue made a promise never to brew an IPA. But as time went on, the brewers there knew they could make world-class hop-forward beers. So Offshoot was born. And they say, quote, sure, we could talk hop profiles, malt bills and yeast strains and delicate food pairings. But right now we'd rather just relax and drink one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Offshoot is basically like an outlet for the brewers at the brewery to brew the beers that they want to drink when they're off the clock in like 
sunny Southern California. It's sunny here. Bitches. <laughs> another couple months. Yeah. <laughs> tops. So the brewery says, quote, this wickedly good golden ale is fiendishly dry hopped to add a layer of complexity to its fruity, crisp Belgian style character. Citrus and resin aromas combine with notes of ripe melon, pear, and a slight peppery spice in our winner of the gold medal of the 2016 Great American Beer Festival, American Belgio Style Ale. And in fact, it won again in 2018. And in 2015, it was a gold medalist at the San Diego International Beer Fest. And with 80,000 check-ins on untapped, Mischief, which was first brewed in 2009, has actually been one of the brewery's most popular and award-winning beers to date. Which 2009, is, interesting. Yeah. I had to do kind of a little digging to find out what hops are in this brew, but it turns out that a home brewer did all the work, hard work for me. <laughs> um, he directly contacted the brewery and requested the recipe, which they actually responded to. What? <laughs> Might have been like, no. <laughs> well, they they gave him like a little vagueness in terms of so that they, they basically he posted the email response and he got kind of generic directions. They basically said you can use whatever bittering hop you want, but here's what we use for the rest of it. OK. OK. Um. So I didn't include the bittering hop that he used because I'm not sure if that's what they used. But right. I, but other than that. In Mischief, we've got Saz, Centennial, Summit, and Sterling. Sterling! (laughs) Archer fans, no? No, no. no. Cricket, cricket. So Saz hops were officially registered in 1952, but it dates back as a staple variety of hop for more than a thousand years. Saz is one of the four original noble hops, and it has a distinctive classic aroma. It's well known for its prominent use in Stella Artois and countless Bohemian lagers and pilsners. It has a warm herbal character thanks to high levels of farnesine, while its other oils are more balanced. It generally has low alpha acids and adds a delicate bitterness when used as an early addition. However, sauce can be very difficult to grow. Its yield is meager, it has weak mildew resistance, and a very light cones. The original Saz variety uh, has been successfully cloned nine times between 1952 and 1993 in an effort to improve these factors. And this hybridization is necessary to breed resistance to wilt and mildew and make it a more viable crop. And that is kind of where sterling hops come in. These hops were the result of a breeding program specifically aimed to overcome Saz's susceptibility to mildew. Um, Saz obviously was really popular, but because of that susceptibility, supply is sporadic, which resulted in price hikes. It took eight years to develop before Sterling was released in 1998. So brewers finally had a more reliable slash easier to grow alternative to Saz. Um, And Sterling has a delicately spiced citrusy aroma with both a floral and herbal punch. It can be used for both bittering and aroma and is best suited for pilsners, lagers, and saisons where the subtlety of its aroma won't be overshadowed. Then we've got Centennial Hops, which were developed in 1974 and released in 1990. They're a mix of Brewer's Gold, East Kent Golding, Fuggle, and Bavarian Hops. And both Centennial and Amarillo are considered very close to Cascade because of their citrusy character. 
But what makes Centennial special is its versatility with its depth of bitterness and aroma that balances out very nicely. And that's what keeps Centennial in high demand. And finally, we've got Summit Hops. They were developed in 1998 and released in 2003. And they were actually bred as part of the American Dwarf Hop Association, even though technically they're only semi-dwarf. And the appeal of dwarf and semi-dwarf varieties is that these shorter plants can be hand-picked at the time of harvest, allowing the plant to stay connected to its root system instead of being ripped out of the trellis like a normal hop plant would be. So being smaller is also thought to make them less susceptible to powdery mildew, wilt, and root rot. At 16 to 19% alpha acid, Summit hops are at the top of the list for acid content, along with other, other varieties like Waimea and Apollo. Summit's most often described as spicy and herbal. Notes include incense, anise, and black pepper. Sometimes even an onion or garlic-like character is perceptible as well. But some brewers swear that you only get this when summit hops are used for bittering. For this reason, it's suggested that summit hops are used for late additions and dry hopping, which will bring out a citrusy profile instead. Yeah, you don't want garlic beer. No. Sounds gross. Yeah. And I like and garlic. I love garlic. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I got. Ooh. I'm excited for this one. You should be excited for every beer that we drink. Well, I'm particularly excited for this one because it's a style from a brewery that we basically know that we can trust already because offshoots were both really good Mm -hmm. and it's a style that you're not typically a fan of so i'm wondering if this might kind of like not necessarily change your opinion on it but if this would be a winner in your book i don't know i mean as long as i think it's okay i think that makes it a winner yeah I really don't like Saisons. This isn't a Saison. It's a Belgian style ale. Right. Which is very Saison adjacent half the time. Yeah. Although not always. Not always. So we'll see. We'll see. Could end up more Blue Mooney. (laughs) All right. Let's go get this beer. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. That beer got cracked, son. (laughs) I smelled nothing. Nope. Yeah, this is pretty much exactly the color I thought it was going to be. That golden, oh, it's very picturesque when you pour it out. It's got a nice head on it. Super carbonated. Mm-hmm. Look at all them bubbles. Oh, yeah. Almost like a cider amount of bubbles on my glass. Yeah, huh? So we've got kind of a different, uh, Mike has kind of a goblet and I have a tulip glass. It is recommended to be served in what looks like a hybrid of the two. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what, do you know what that glass is called? Probably a tulip glass. Okay. I think we just have kind of two different imaginings of the glass. Mine is okay. more in a champagne-esque style. Mm-hmm. And yours is more round coming out, almost like a snifter glass. Yeah. Anyway, not too much off the nose. Just kind of malty. Sweet and malty. Floral. Yeah. A little floral. Almost does kind of smell like what a cider would smell like if you smelled it. Mm-hmm. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Terrible clink. Yeah. It's refreshing. Crisp. Very crisp. Getting notes of apple peel. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely getting that melon and pear. Yes, the pear is there a little bit. 
which probably is part of what the the Belgian the style peel yeah. that I was getting. Oh yeah, that's true. It's not Blue Moon esque at all. It does have the undercurrent of like a saison. It does it have does. a little bit of that bubble gumminess, but it is very light. It's approachable. It's drinkable. Which is crazy considering it is 8.5%. Holy crap. I <laughs> forgot. Or did you even mention that yet? I did not. Oh my God. It's a good thing Oopsie. I had lunch. It's approachable. It's refreshing. It's light. It tastes, it tastes, here's my, if I could describe it in one word, how it tastes. Okay. It tastes fancy. It does. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a beer that I would drink in a glass like I have now, like a, a thicker champagne, a wider champagne glass. Mm-hmm. And I'd be drinking it at a party and this would be like, this is one of the two beers they have on bottle only that they're going to pour in. For. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what this tastes like. This actually reminds me a lot of Le Fin du Monde. That's crazy because Le Fin du Monde is so much more of a Cezanne than this. It is much more like this is more of a, I, I guess in your words, an approachable kind of Cezanne. Yeah. This would actually be a very good introduction for anyone who doesn't necessarily know a lot about saisons or you want to wean them on to saisons yeah if it's like too extreme for them kind of thing maybe would i have been weaned on mischief mm. i would have liked saisons more but i doubt it perhaps can't stand the bubble goodness of it i will say though super approachable does not taste like 8.5, although it's got a little bit of a kick to it. It does. It, yeah, it's bitter at the end. It does leave a bitter like finish on my on my tongue. Yeah, but it doesn't taste like, ooh, there's an alcohol. And I think that's part of the, I mean, obviously, I don't think this has serving temperature, right? They're not that fancy. No. But we are drinking these cold. It's not frosted glasses that we have. Oh, though. no. Ideal serving temp, 45 degrees. Yeah, so we're drinking this at its ideal serving temp, right out of the fridge, 45 mm-hmm. degrees. So it's meant to be drank cold, which keeps it refreshing, which keeps the flavors, maybe the more pungent flavors down. Yes, for sure. I feel like when this gets warm, those Cezanne notes would really come out. Yeah, I think this is going to be, unfortunately, one of those beers that when it gets warm, it's kind of undrinkable. For some beers, it's like really interesting to experience that evolution of it coming down from, especially if we f- prepare and have the glass frosted. Which beforehand. we're not supposed to do. We Which know. We're not supposed to do. It's just so fun. <laughs> it is fun. And like I said, it, it's interesting to see how the flavors evolve as it comes down from really cold to like not quite room temperature because we never wait around that long. But yeah, on the podcast, yeah. In real life, we do sometimes. Yeah, exactly. If we're in and a tap like, room. You're going to finish this beer from two hours ago? And Especially if we're outside. Yes. Then it's like one conversation, half a conversation before you take your sip. And it's like, ugh. Mm-hmm. One of the nice things about this, I think, that makes it a little bit more approachable as well, is the fact that the flavor dissipates pretty much right away. Yes. So there's not this lingering on your tongue of this weird bubble gumminess, although that's not the main flavor of this as if it were a Saison. Mm-hmm. The main thing I'm getting is that pear melon, which is giving the it fruitiness. That. And I wonder if that's always it. I wonder if pear melon is, is what gives it that apple peel taste that I'm always tasting. It could be. I wonder if what I consider to be like an apple peel taste is actually like a pear melon. Yeah. That'd be like really interesting. Like pear and melon put them together. Cause Cause pear gives you the apple note uh-huh. and then maybe watermelon tinges it a little bit or melon to almost kind general. of yeah melon me- i mean like melon could be 
honeydew, could be cantaloupe. Right. And honeydew kind of tastes like uh, like an edible version of the white rind of a watermelon. <laughs> yeah. Which is almost akin to like the peel of an apple. And then yeah. you have that pear that's apple adjacent. Although I hate pears. I know. Yeah, I wonder if that is part of it. But that's because that would I'm also explain. I wonder what hops are in Hop Devil, which is one of the first beers that you described as having that apple peel. Oh, Victory Hop Devil Victory, absolutely yeah. is super apple peel. Like that beer is out of this world apple peel. That's like the only note I can get off Victory Hop. Mm-hmm. And that's that was one of your like earliest favorite beers. Yeah. Well, earliest I- IPA beer. Yes, that's true. Not, that's true. I was 21. I was like 22, 23. When I first turned 21, I hated IPAs. I returned my first one. <laughs> I remember that. Awkward and we embarrassing were at, moment. What? Chili's? <clears throat> Chili's or an Applebee's after, uh, during a weekend during college. Mm-hmm. And the waiter or waitress saw my distress. You didn't even like distress. try to return it. The, the waitress so just concerned. came back over she and she was like, was do you not like what you're drinking? Because yeah, it's like, been sitting on the okay? table for a while. Yeah. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'd never do this, but I can't. We really don't. We never return stuff. Nope. I've returned two things ever. That beer and a mixed drink from Uno, which was a cucumber-based drink. Oh, yeah. Which I only ordered a second time because I ordered it the first time time on a whim. And it was amazing. And the second time, it was so much more cucumber than usual. Yeah. I still don't think I returned that. The owner begged me to give it back. And I was like, no, I ordered it. I'm going to finish it. It's a cucumber drink. My complaint is it tastes like cucumber. You didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's my fault that I don't like cucumbers and I was stupid enough to order a cucumber drink again. Because the first time was amazing. Although there have been, there is a cucumber sour beer out there that I find amazing. Hey, do you know who it's by? Is it by the brewery? It's by the brewery. Really? Yep. Nice. That's the one that we shared that can of like two summers ago. That beer is awesome. Yep. That was the brewery. And it is still being produced. I saw it, I think, earlier this year. I cannot find what hops are in Hop Devil. That's fine. We're not talking about I know, but it's going to bother me. Like, I want to know if that's the What I find interesting is when you're drinking this drink, Mm -hmm. like the first thing we smelled was the malt and like a sweetness. Yeah. Like almost sickeningly sweet, but the beer is not. It's not sweet like an IPA. No, it's not sweet like an IPA, but I don't even think. IPA rather. I don't even think it's that sweet. Maybe it's a little sweeter than most of your Belgians. It's got a little sweetness, but it goes away real quick. And I don't find it very malty, even though that's pretty much the nose. Yeah. Is that malts on the nose? Well, as I'm drinking, as it's coming down in temp, I can smell apple peel as well. Mm Mm-hmm. The carbonation is nice, though, as well. But I think that helps with how it's refreshing. It's cold. Definitely, yeah. And the bubbles are there. And I think the bubbles also give it that air of fanciness. Because it really is super carbonated. So the can is a tall boy can with a full, full on. I don't know if this is like what I would consider one of my heat synced labels. Because it does kind of wrap around. It's just well glued and wrapped around. It goes all the way around. It's black with a shiny finish. Definitely a I would say glossy. Finish. Glossy, yeah. yep. And on the front of the can is this really cool like snake border. Four, it looks like four, five, looks like six snakes kind of all tangled <laughs> around this like cross logo. Not like a cross, like a religious cross, but like those crosses you just see all over Europe and stuff. 
with the rounded edges. It's like short and fat. And inside of that border, it says the brewery logo, which is this really nice, like wispy font that you would see in the 60s. However, it doesn't give you off the impression of it's from the 60s. Um, and then mischief is on the bottom. And that font's really cool. It's just kind of a plain font with some wisps on the H and the E. But the S in mischief is tails off and wraps back around the M with a little pointed tail like a devil's tail. And in the middle of the C is a hop. And the logo goes from a light orange to a darker red orange as you go further into mm-hmm. the logo. But it's really nice looking font. Apparently they did just kind of rebrand the can like a year or two ago. It's cool. It's sleek. It's modern. It's sharp. It's dangerous. <laughs> uh, behind those snakes in the border, there are also little like little devil tail things there in white. The whole logo other than the mischief is all black and white. That's mischief. In the orange is the only color pop in the whole thing, which really draws your eye. Brewed and canned by the brewery in Placentia, California. Then on the back of the can, which do you have this weird little line on yours as well? Where? It might just be where the label meets or something. Yeah, you do that. My, my label just got cut. Okay. Oh. On the back of the can, it says Famille de Rue, which I guess is the type of beer this is. Uh, and then the brewery. Oh, the family rue. Very fancy. Because the brewery. Yep. This wickedly good golden ale is fiendishly dry hopped to add a layer of complexity to its fruity, crisp, Belgian-style character. Citrus and resin aromas combined with notes of ripe melon, pear, and a slight peppery spice in our winner of the gold medal 2016 Great American Beer Festival, American Belgo-style ale. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't like that it's called Belgo. When you said it before, Bel- my brain went to go like, www.thebrewery.com. Then it's got that little picture of a tulip glass. And then ideal serving temp, 45 degrees Fahrenheit, which is seven degrees Celsius for all you European listeners. <laughs> and that's what we got. That's what we got. So yeah, crisp, appley. Yeah, it's very... Fruity, spicy, like fruit peel, like you said, like specifically spicy and herbal. Like it, I feel like it really evolves like from from the initial sip. It starts out sweet and fruity and then it kind of goes into bitter and then the taste kind of dissipates. Yeah. They mentioned the pepper. I think I can get a little pepper at the end. Now that's in my brain, mm-hmm. but it had to get into my brain for me to taste it. Yeah. But as far as the Belgian style goes, it's not bad. A little bit on the Cezanne side for me. I'm not going to be, you know. That's fair. I am at, that's. Guzzling this. Yeah. Like I said, that's kind of why I bought this because it was going to be more of a challenge for you. Even though it it didn't say Cezanne, I was like, okay, as long as it's more of a Belgian style and not like strictly a Cezanne. Right. But hey, I'll drink a Cezanne, man. I'll give you some notes. I know. I'll do what it takes. Take one for the team. Well, we already did that. We need to do another six pack series soon. Mm -hmm. But that was one of the ones that we did last was the Saison six pack. Yeah. Or no, was the stout six pack the last one? The one that challenged me? The stout one was, yeah, because it was uh, later in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. Refreshing, crisp, apple peely. Definitely up your alley a little bit more than mine, I think. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this, but just in like a sit and sip kind of way. Because it's a fancy beer. 
It is. I do kind of feel like a fancy bitch. <laughs> uh, occasionally, our liquor store will get stuff from the brewery that costs more like $20 a four pack. Oof. And I kind of pass on that as interesting as it sounds. Um, but because this is one of their mainstays, it was like 14, which is pretty normal for a four pack. And again, we tried that cucumber sour was the last one we tried from them, which was fantastic and why I felt more confident in getting this one. I would like to try more. Mm. I mean, it made the empty mug club. Mm -hmm. I did finish it. And I will finish it before we finish. (laughs) So you think. All right. Well, then thank you guys for tuning into this week's episode. And if you enjoyed it, please rate it, review it, share it with your friends and subscribe to catch our future episodes. You can find us on crackandwinopen.com or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at crackandwinopen, or shoot us an email at crackandwinopen at gmail.com with any comments, questions, or suggestions, because we always want to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. What else you got? Listen to my other podcast, Forgotten Cinema, a podcast uh, I do with my buddy Mike Field, where we talk about films that seem to be forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about it. Maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know. You might find your own forgotten gem. Forgotten Cinema is available at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com, ForgottenEntertainment.com, where you'll find this podcast, Forgotten Cinema, as well as a whole bunch of other great podcasts and video content. And uh, you can find us also wherever you get your podcasts as well. I've also got audiobooks on Audible. Look for me, Michael Butler. I do books like Switch Our Front and Gangsters, Vacation Planet, Sour, The Final Girl, The Murder of Kelly Christopher, Progressive Entrapment, Coffee at Midnight. Go find those. Buy those. That's how I make the monies on those books. So uh, <laughs> that would help. Um, and yeah, they're a good time. And that's, uh, that's what I got right now. All right. Well, then a special thanks for our theme, which was composed and performed by Joe Reichert. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Better clink this time. Mm-hmm. Slightly. Attention, nerdy knights. Join Flo, Anders, and me, Colleen, at the Well-Rounded Table for Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms. From that Star Wars galaxy far, far away to Outlander Scottish Highlands, we consume it all. Listen along with us each week as we explore the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.